0: We're maybe going to hear a little bit of our testimony as well. So why don't we stand this morning and give a great Canadian welcome to Kim Walker-Smith as she comes. Hi. Good morning. I'm super old school. I like paper and pen and like actual books, and I just don't trust technology. freaks me out. Well, I'm really excited to be here and get to share with all of you. Um, I will give you just a little bit of my my background before we get started. Um, I was actually not raised in church. I got saved when I was 18. And um, when I was... um, about 15 years old. My mom took me out. We lived in a a tiny little farm town in southeastern Oregon and my mom took me to what we would call our downtown, although it's not a proper downtown because it's a little farm town. It's like where a cluster of fast food restaurants and a grocery store is. And my mom said, okay get out of the car, go get a job, you can't come home till you have a job, and she drove away. (laughs) And so I walked around from place to place till I Found a job, and I uh, called my mom on a payphone because there were no cell phones back then. And on the payphone, I said, "Mom, I found a job. Can I come home?" She picked me up. She brought me home, and I had had a job ever since. At 18, when I gave my life to the Lord, I still kind of had this mindset of um, I'm serving God. Whatever he wants me to do with my life is wonderful, um, but I'm going to have a job still because i got to pay my bills, right? And I grew up singing, but I never thought that singing was anything special. Honestly, I was like, well, lots of people can sing. There's nothing special about it. Um, My family was all musical. My freshman year of high school, I got kicked out of choir, and I was band for the rest of high school that's a long story I won't tell that one but I was not allowed to participate in the music program at school and then when I went to my first year of Christian college they were having auditions for the worship team and I was like well I can sing I think and maybe I could make some friends this way so I auditioned as a background singer and I didn't make the team And so anytime I tried to do anything musical, it was not actually working. And so I wasn't thinking about that at all. And I just kind of decided at some point, I'm just going to set my eyes on Jesus and just follow him. And I'm just going to let him lead me wherever he wants to lead me, whatever that looks like. And so when we were about four albums in with Jesus Culture, I was working as a banker. I processed loans, (laughs) I sold loans, and this was my job, because, you know, I had this inside me, like, my 15-year-old self, you have to have a job. You can't come home till you have a job. (laughs) And um, I didn't really... I don't know, I just didn't really realize, I guess, what God was doing was pretty special. And Banning, who's our pastor and director of Jesus Culture, after those four albums, you know, I would take vacation time from my banking job to go and do conferences like this. It was crazy. And um, Banning finally said, Kim, can you please come into ministry full time? Can you see what God is doing? And I had to, like, wrestle through that a little bit with the Lord and really what it came down to was, is your job your provider or am I your provider? And God was really pressing me just to trust him. So I took the huge leap of faith, which felt like really humongous leap of faith to step out and to trust God. And really that is the story of how I became a worship leader. That's kind of the short version (laughs) of it all. Um, But I learned a few things about worship along the way. I've learned that we are all created to worship. Worship is not actually about a talent or a special skill. Um, a lot of times we try to, to limit worship to where it's songs or it looks like this. It's, it's this thing that we do on a Sunday morning before the speaking. But actually, if I were to define worship, I would say that worship very simply defined is just God pouring out his love on us and us in turn responding to that love and pouring our love back out on him. And that tells me that every single one of us is created to worship. We are all called to worship. And um, I have learned uh, that it does require a few things from us sometimes. Uh, Sometimes, you know, one question I'll get asked a lot as a worship leader, do you ever get tired of singing the same songs over and over and over? Uh, no, no, I do not, actually, because in my brain, it's actually not about the songs. It's just about him, and he does something new and different every single time. I love the songs. Songs are very special. Songs carry an anointing themselves, but what is most important is this connection with Jesus, what's, what's happening in the room when when he shows up, when his presence is here. That's, that's really what we're, we're going after. Um, I've learned that... Um, worship is not really always about my feelings. I just got asked one time, someone said, but what do you do when you just don't feel like it? And I had to think about it like, I wanted to say, how, why do you not feel like it? And it's it's kind of interesting. It actually made me like start to think about this. You know, I'm not really schooled or educated in, in the other religions of the world, but I do know that pretty much every other religion, the people worship their God out of obedience, out of holiness, out of this is just what's required. But it seems like Christianity is the only religion where a lot of us sometimes go, well, I just have to feel it. It's, a, it's at my feelings, I just don't feel like it. And I was like, kind of thinking about that, like, I don't really know that it's supposed to be that way. I think that really it is an act of obedience and an act of holiness and an act of, I am going to give you what you are due and what you are worthy of, which is my worship. And the beautiful thing though is that our God is actually seeking us out and he gets excited when we do that and he meets us. And then it kind of becomes an emotional experience because you're excited and you're happy and you're crying tears of joy because Jesus is here, which is pretty amazing. But the other thing that I have learned about worship and really just about following Jesus in general, is that it requires my total trust and surrender. And I think that when I first got saved, I think that I had this idea in my head that when I surrender to Jesus, it's like once and for all, that's it. I surrendered, check, got it, done. And if you have been a Christian for any amount of time, you know That to follow him requires surrender over and over (laughs) and over (laughs) and over, right? Anyone know what I'm talking about? Yeah. As Christians, we live in a place of constant tension between what we know of God and sometimes what we are actually experiencing. And what I mean by that is we know that God is a healer. We know that God heals, but we don't always see that, right? There are times and moments when we're praying and we're believing, and the thing that we're believing for has not yet happened, or maybe it didn't happen at all does anyone know this tension I'm talking about of what we know to be true of God and the things that we're experiencing does not change who he is the things that we're experiencing does not change the truth about him but living in that tension in that place requires and demands our total complete surrender to him and trusting him through every step of that process right And it's really easy to surrender when you're like at the end of yourself, okay? I feel this way sometimes after a day with my three children, six, four, and two. My husband comes home. I am waving my white flag. They are all yours. Peace out, buddy. And I escape to the bedroom and lock the door. (laughs) But it is much more difficult to surrender when you feel very strong or smart or you have a plan. That is a little more difficult. I have this thing inside of me. This is my, my weakness and my struggle and my wrestle, which is I tend to be very independent and go, I got this. I got this. I got this. No, 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 I don't need help. I, I don't need help. I got this. I got this. I had a friend one time who told me, to my face, that he thought the most evil words in Christianity were, I got this. And I was like, how dare you? And what he was trying to tell me was, I got this, first of all is saying, no, 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 I don't need your help, God. I got this. I can do this on my own. I got this. But also, to all the people that I am called to live in community with, no, no, I got this. I got this. And I was realizing this is actually not a a good place for me to be. And I realized that there's another kind of surrender, a surrender that we don't always talk about, a surrender that maybe doesn't come up as much because like I said, it's really easy to surrender when you're just laying on the floor completely worn out and waving your white flag going, yes, I surrender, I surrender. But the other kind of surrender, I call it the brave surrender. Because it requires so much courage to lay down my own will and my own strength and everything else to trust and to say, I actually don't want to rely only on my strength. I want to rely on you and on your strength, Jesus. So I am going to surrender to you. I'm going to surrender my plan to you. I'm going to surrender my future to you. I'm going to surrender all of those things to you and fully trust you even when I feel like I got this, I'm just gonna say, maybe I don't, I'm just gonna trust you, <laughs> that kind of surrender. And there are three things that I wanna talk about today that have really helped me to live and to stay in this place of surrender. Cause see, I find myself sometimes going back and trying to pick it up. Have you guys done this? Like you surrender something and you're like, I surrendered it to Jesus. And then you're like, no one's looking run back over and pick it up I got this (laughs) I have done that many times but these three things if I can hold on to these three things helps me to stay and to live and to just be in this place of constant surrender which really ultimately this is where I want to be this is where I want to live my life just truly yielding my heart to Jesus in everything that I am doing the first one it matters where I fix my eyes. It matters what I'm looking at. You guys know the story of Peter in Matthew 14. Peter out on the, the boat. I'm gonna to go to verse uh, 22. Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said, "'Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid.' "'Lord, if it is you,' Peter replied, "'tell me to come to you on the water. "'Come,' he said. Peter, we know the rest of the story. Peter gets out on the boat. He's going out to meet Jesus. But suddenly, he takes his eyes off of Jesus, and he looks around, and he notices, I am walking on the water. This is not normal. And he sees the waves and the wind around him, and suddenly he's terrified and begins to sink. And he calls out to Jesus, save me. And Jesus just trots over and picks him up and says, oh, you of little faith come on, Peter. You know what? I read this and I think, Peter must have been really radically in love with Jesus. Because you know what? People who are in love, they do some crazy things. Have you ever talked to a young person in love? They are dumb. I mean dumb. I was one. I can say it. When that that initial, that like first like, oh, I'm just staring at my phone. It's been five minutes, he hasn't called yet. Do you think everything's okay? I'm just waiting for him to call. Or the staying up like till ungodly hours of the night talking on the phone. I mean, it's insane, living on two hours of sleep. They're so in love, they could like step out in the street and get hit by a car and their arm falls off and they're just like, oh. You know what I'm talking about, right? People who are in love, they do radical things. When your heart is just on fire burning, you're like, yes, I am sold on that person right there. Yes. This is how I think Peter must have been. Like, I am so, like, I... I know that voice, I know that voice. That is the voice of the one that I love. And you know what, he's out there on the water. You know what's crazy is he was walking towards them. Like couldn't Peter have just waited for Jesus to get there? Like he's like, no, no, that's not enough for me. I want to be right where he is. I'm gonna get out on that boat and I'm just running out to him, but it was the moment he took his eyes off of Jesus, and he put his eyes on the circumstances around him. That was the moment he began to sink. I learned this at a very young age. I was 16, I was driving, and of course I had my job at the fast food restaurant my mom forced me to go get. And I was, had a, a late night of work, I was doing the evening shift, and where I lived in Oregon, we got... An insane amount of snow and winter would last for months we would get snow drifts up to the roof of our house and have to dig out we wouldn't see pavement for weeks on end and my rascally little brothers their job was to plow the driveway but they would not plow the side of the driveway where i parked my car they just thought she could do that but i'm a teenage girl and i'm like "Ah, no i'm not gonna do that so i didn't So I had this little, it was called a Suzuki Sidekick. It's like a little Jeep thing. And um, I go out one night to get in my car, and I put it in reverse to back out of the driveway to go to work. And as I back up, I kind of like hit something, and I hear this crunch, crunch. And every now and then, because of the, piles of snow that would come over on my side from them shoveling. They would would turn frozen and just become these icy chunks and piles of snow that I would practically have to put it in four wheel drive to get over, to get in the driveway. And I just thought, wow, that is a big pile of ice back there. So I put it in drive and I go forward and then I put it in reverse and I push the gas harder. Boom, boom, crunch, crunch, crunch. I'm like, wow, I mean, that is a big pile of ice. I mean, I, I'm, how am I going to get out of here? I put it in drive, and I go forward again and put it in reverse. And this time, I am pedal to the floor. Wham! Boom! Crunch, 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 crunch. Like, man, how, how am I going to get over this? And I, I put it in drive, and I go forward. And finally, I look in my rearview mirror only to see my father's car. <laughs> Dread comes over me. As I step out of my vehicle and I walk around and realize, no, no, it was not ice crunching. That crunching sound was the sound of my father's car getting demolished by mine. <laughs> and terrified, I walked into the house. Um, Dad, um, I, I hit your car. And he's looking at me. It's parked in the driveway, and I was like, I know, but it's parked behind my car, and I hit it three times, and he was like, what, and he jumps up, and we run outside, and when he gets out there, and he looks at his car, he falls to the ground laughing hysterically, and he's like, you are so dumb, and he did not even have the heart to punish me because he said, you're going to have to live with this the rest of your life. And it's true. I got to wear that burden. But I learned an important lesson that day. It matters what you're looking at. That has stuck with me the rest of my life. I can tell you that. It matters where you Fix your eyes. If you can fix your eyes on Jesus, no matter the storm, no matter the circumstances, no matter what's going on, this is one of the most important keys in surrender, in living in that place of surrender. I got my eyes fixed on you, Jesus. And as I keep moving towards you, it makes it so much easier to keep surrendering. The second one, knowing and listening and leaning on the sound of his voice. So it matters what you see, it matters what you hear. Now this one can get a little trickier because the enemy loves to come in and try and put some lies in there. And this is a prayer that I have almost every day. I pray and say, God, please let your voice be louder than every other voice in my life today. Trying to put up some some filters and trying to to learn how to just lean in and trust his voice and trust what he says, trust what he says about me. When I was um, probably about twenty years old, I started this thing i I got a journal and I, I carry this with me everywhere. and in the journal, every single time that God would speak something to me in in my prayer time with him, something about who I am, something that he sees in me, whether it's something as simple as him saying to me, Kim, you're my daughter, or saying to me, Kim, you are called to do this or that, whatever it was, I would write it down and I'd put a date next to it. And when I get to those moments and those times when I'm beating myself up, when the enemy is coming in and I'm buying into the lies and I'm thinking, I don't have what it takes or I'm not good enough or I'm not this enough or that enough or whatever it is. And suddenly as I'm falling and spiraling down this hole, deeper and deeper and deeper and I suddenly realize what's going on, I know I have this weapon, which is his voice. And so I get up, I get my book, And I go and stand in front of a mirror and I read my book and it feels so good to also put a date to it and say, no, 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 on this day, God said this to me, this is the truth. I've got it documented right here. And as I begin speaking those words over myself, suddenly the voice of the enemy is farther and farther and farther away. And I can feel myself being pulled up out of that hole as I'm pressing in to his voice, and what he says. My son, I have two boys and a little girl, um, six and four, almost five, and two. My daughter is my youngest, Um, but my boys, they're only 14 months apart, very close in age, and uh, when they were really little, uh, we were outside one day on our back deck. Now, when I say a deck, it's it's not a tall deck. It's like the the height of the base of our house, so it's only a couple feet off of the ground. And uh, we're out there one morning. Both of my boys were really little in diapers, so it's probably like one and two, or two and two and three, right around there. And uh, that's all they're wearing was their diapers. It's California. It's warm, so um, we're out there having breakfast, and I go inside for just a moment to get the dark, bitter nectar of motherhood called coffee that I live off of every morning. And I'm telling you, it's unbelievable what children can do in the tiniest amount of time. Like I stepped inside to pour a cup of coffee. And as I'm pouring it, suddenly I hear this screaming outside, this panic screaming, and I go running out, and I hear my oldest son, Wyatt, saying, mama, mama, help me, help me, mama, help me, help me, and I've never heard him sound like this. I've never heard him sound so scared and so terrified, and I I hear him, but I I can't see him anywhere, and and I'm running everywhere going, Wyatt, Wyatt, where are you, where are you, And, and I can't I can't find him. And it was so mind-boggling to me. Like, I'm hearing his voice, but he is nowhere. I'm looking all over the place. And suddenly I see Bear, my my other son. And yes, that is his legal name, Bear. Um, I see him squat down on the ground in front of the deck, and he's just peering through the the lattice there, looking under there. And I saw, thought, oh, no, no. And I run over and look in, and my son had found an opening on the other side of the house and crawled underneath, but then crawled underneath the whole house to the other side and gotten stuck under the house. <laughs> and he's in nothing but a diaper. And we have these rocks under there that, that we call lava rocks. Or they're those red rocks that are kind of sharp. And he's going, owie, mama, owie, it hurts. And then he had this thing, whenever he was scared, he'd point to his heart, and he'd go, I scared, I scared, and he's just under there going like "Is I scared, I scared, mama, I scared, and I'm like panicking, you know, like about to be a crazy woman right now, and I I run over to the hole, and I realize uh, it is about this big, and there is no way I am going to get myself through that tiny little hole. And so I'm calling out to him, Wyatt, can you just, just come back over here? I'm right here. Just listen to my voice. Just come towards my voice. Just come out over here. And Wyatt's going, I can't mama. I scared. I scared. And suddenly I'm remembering, you know, that there's stories of these super moms that in a moment of crisis, they're throwing cars. <laughs> and I'm like, yes. I am going to be super mom right now. And I run over to the lattice and I grab it with both hands and I'm imagining myself just ripping it off and I go, Mm. Uh." not moving. So those stories must not be real. And then I'm looking at it and I I see that at every intersection there's a, you know, the little thing. And I'm like, if I can go to the garage and find the, the thing. and put it in the, the thing, I could maybe like somehow do the reverse and get it out maybe with the thing. And and just thinking about that was giving me a headache. <laughs> my husband was at work, by the way. So I am just about to call the fire station down the road from us because I am in a full-on panic now. And in my moment of I'm about to burst into tears and scream because I'm so scared, This moment, this thought comes in that could only be Holy Spirit, and I remember that I had just bought my son a Spider-Man costume. My boys love to dress up as superheroes, and I had this idea, and I, I ran, and I grabbed the gloves, the Spider-Man gloves, and I said, Wyatt, look at mama, and he just goes, I said, do you see these gloves? yeah when you put these on, you will become Spider-Man. And Spider-Man is not scared to crawl underneath the house, back out the hole where he came in. And he goes, okay, mama. And I was like, are you ready? And he's like, yeah, okay, mama. And so I pass the gloves through the hole and he gets his little hands in them. And I was like, are you ready? And he's like, I'm ready mama and I went back over and I stuck my face down in the hole and I was like okay come on Wyatt and he starts crawling through and I'm like Wyatt you're doing such a good job and he stops and he goes mama I Spider-Man I said, I'm sorry I'm sorry Spider-Man you're doing such a good job Spider-Man and he crawls and just as he gets to the hole I pull him out and I grab him and I'm crying don't you ever do that to me again and I call my husband, don't you ever lay me again. <laughs> <laughs> that night, Skylar comes home and he picks Wyatt up and puts him in his lap and he's like, hey buddy, did you get stuck under the house today? And so quick, Wyatt looks at him and goes, no Spider-Man did. <laughs> 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 to this day, if you ask him, hey, who got stuck under the house that one time? He's like, Spider-Man crazy and I'm laying in bed that night and I'm processing my day and I felt the Lord say Kim what would it be like if you believed the things that I said about you and I felt this (laughs) conviction come over me and this this is why you talk so much about being like a child Why it is so important to be like a child in the kingdom. They just believe. They just simply believe. They don't have all the the things, the the filters that they put up to, to try and process and go, but is that realistic? Is that really possible? Could I actually do that? I don't even have the money to do that. You put this dream in my heart, but there's not even the finances for that. Or We just put all these filters there and all these things, but what would it be like? What would our lives look like if we could just put all those things away and just simply be like a child and just believe him? Just believe his voice, just believe what he says, just so simple. Listening to his voice, leaning on his voice, pressing into his voice. And the word says that, he says, my sheep know my voice. We sometimes may doubt, wrestle through that. You know, I just, I have this thing inside me, you know, it is hard. Let's just talk about that a second. Sometimes you're like, it sounds like my voice, but I think that's the Lord, but it sounds like my voice. It's not like some audible booming voice from heaven, you know, and we're going, but is that really him? What if it's not? What if it is? And one day I just decided that just living stuck because I'm not sure was just not fun anymore. So I decided I would rather step out and possibly be wrong (laughs) and just go, whoops, my mistake, back up, try again. I mean, why have we as a people decided that mistakes are such a bad thing? This is how we learn and grow. Again, be like a child. My children, they make mistakes all day long. But you know what? I recognize that they're learning. I tell myself this every day. You're raising leaders, Kim. You're raising leaders. That strong little personality, you're raising a leader. (laughs) You got this. If we could just maybe take, just get a little moment of courage. Let's be courageous. Let's cheer each other on and let's go, you know what? I I really think that that is the voice of the Lord. I'm going to step out. And I bet you most of the time, He's going to meet you in that place. I can only think of probably two times in my life that I went, I don't know if this was the right way. And I just went, okay, just going to go back over here, and I'm going to try again. There was no punishment. There was no upset. God was not mad at me. He was not like, you idiot, you did the dumb thing. There was none of that. He's a father. He's like, yeah, girl, you tried. It didn't work, but you tried. Way to go. Try again. You can do it. Parents, parents out here, what, how would you be with your children? Why do we think that God would be any different? We would have all the grace on our kids because we want to see them succeed, but we also want to see them make mistakes because we want to see them lo- learn and grow, right? Be like children, step out, take the risk. The third one, worship, right? Of course, worship. This is how we say in a place of surrender. We worship. Worship requires humility because we are laying ourselves down. We are surrendering ourselves. We are laying everything down. We are giving him our all. Like Job said, you are God and I am not. I am trusting you. It's not about me. It is about you. I really think the most beautiful sound in worship is not what 's happening on the stage it 's what 's coming out of the people out here that is the most beautiful sound it doesn 't matter if you can sing or not it 's that just giving my all, giving my worship and i I have a, a, a lot of worship leaders will will ask what do you do when you look out and it looks like the crowd just isn't responding? They're just staring at you or whatever it is. And I just tell them, you know, I like to just not make a judgment call about that. Because for someone out there, Maybe they're kind of new to church and they're sitting there while worship's going. They're like, I really want to lift my hand, but I'm so terrified. And I think everyone's going to stare at me when I lift my hand. Okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Here I go. Here I go. Here I go. Here I go. Oh, my word. Oh, my word. Oh, my word. Oh, my word. Oh, my hand is up. My hand is up. Everyone's staring at me. They're staring at me. I know they're staring at me. It's okay. It's okay. I'm worshiping. I'm worshiping. I'm worshiping. End of the song. They're like, I did it. I lifted my hand right here in worship. To some people, this is like the greatest act of worship that they are mustering up all their courage to. And for others, they're like spazzing out in a corner over here, going crazy, like woo! Listen, I'm not gonna judge it. I just trust that he is God and I am not. It's not my job to make something happen. He shows up because he wants to, and people encounter him in different ways. And it's all beautiful because the most beautiful sound is what's happening out here and the worship that's being released and you know this time here on earth is the only time that we get to bring a sacrifice of praise when we are in heaven What, what kind of sacrifice would there be? Like, is it gonna be hard? No, is it gonna be rough? No, is there gonna be troubling things? Uh, no. This right now is the only time that you get to bring a sacrifice of praise, that you get to show up and choose to worship him regardless of anything else, regardless of your feelings, and actually bring him what he is worthy of. We worship regardless of the circumstances. Because this is, this is what Jesus deserves. This is what he is so worthy of because he gave his life, he gave everything for us. And he deserves our lives and our worship in return. And there is no better way to live your life in a place of surrender than to keep worshiping, to keep laying down your life to him, worshiping him, worship through every storm, through every fire, through every circumstance, worship your way through it all. Worship is not the routine on a Sunday morning. It is not the thing that we do before the preacher speaks. Worship is our life. It's our every day. It's our every moment. It's the air that we're breathing. It's everything. I I learned this from my dad, and I I call him dad, but he, he was actually my stepdad, same as George, and my parents divorced when I was four years old, and I had three stepfathers after that, and two of those stepfathers were really abusive. And then George came into our lives. And when he came into our lives, I was about 12 years old. I was about to, you know, become a teenager. And I had been abused by men. And I was done. And I was over it. And I thought, you are another man who is going to hurt me and leave us. And I'm not having it. So the moment they got married and he came into our lives, my response to him was, I hate you. I don't want anything to do with you. You're not my dad. Stay out of my life. You're going to hurt us and leave us. I don't want anything to do with you. He was an incredible, strong Christian. And I, to this day, I don't know, <laughs> except the mercy of God, what made him choose my mother with all of the baggage and these crazy children who hated him. But he did. And he got us going to church. And he, he completely changed our lives. I, you know, we had times where Um, we went hungry. My mom didn't have enough money for food. Uh, I never had new clothes before him. I never lived in a proper house before him. Um, I never had, uh, I never had like new things. I never went on family vacations. I, you know, all all these things. He, He just completely radically transformed our lives, but in the midst of all of it, I could not, be happy with it. I could not receive it. I was just a teenage girl, just full of so much pain and anger because of what had been done to me and what had happened to me. And George loved worship. He would get up every single morning and he would uh, go into the living room and he would turn on worship music and he would pray out loud and he would worship and I, I would be so offended. I'd be getting up in the morning and I'd be like, why doesn't he do that somewhere private? And I would hear him praying out loud and saying, and he's crying while he's doing this, and he'd say, thank you, God, for my girls. Teach me how to be a better father to them. Thank you for my wife. And I would just be so mad, like, I'm not your girl. Stop praying that, stop saying that. I was just so offended at him because I was so hurt and I couldn't even receive his love. And every single time when I'm pushing him away, pushing him away, pushing him away, he kept coming after me, loving me, calling me his princess, telling me you're my girl, I love you so much, you're so beautiful. No man had ever said you're beautiful to me before, ever. And I was so hurt and so angry and I couldn't receive it. And I, it wasn't until much later in my life after becoming a Christian that I realized that he was showing me the love of Christ before I even knew Christ. He was showing me who Jesus really was. That Jesus, even when I reject him, even when I push him away, he is coming after me and he does not stop. He comes to me in the mess, he meets me in the mess, he gets down in the dirt with me, he gets down in the mess with me, he keeps telling me he loves me over and over, and he keeps saying, you're gonna see my faithfulness, you're gonna see my faithfulness, you're you're not gonna, what you experienced before, that's not who I am, and I am not afraid to prove that to you. I'm not afraid of your questions. I'm not afraid of your doubting. I'm not afraid of your wrestling. He's like, bring it on. I'm ready. I can prove myself to you, and I will. That's who Jesus is. That's the kind of father he is. And George It wasn't until, you know, I I got saved at 18, and I went through many years of counseling and inner healing, and I had to go through a very lengthy transformation of just God rewiring me on the inside and bringing a lot of healing to me. I had to walk through a lot of forgiveness. Um, I was in counseling for a very, very long time, years, and just working through all that stuff and really surrendering to God and allowing him to transform me from the inside out and it wasn't until I got to the end of that process that I could really move towards George and begin a relationship with him and see who he was in my life and at that time when I finally got there I found out that George had been diagnosed with Parkinson's disease and I watched as this disease ravaged his body for 11 years. And in that time, he never, ever stopped believing that God would heal him. He never stopped asking God to heal him, he never stopped worshiping he would still get up every morning, and when he couldn't any longer go and turn the music on himself, he'd ask us to turn it on. When he um, couldn't raise his hands anymore, he would just lift up an arm just like this as much as he could. When he could no longer open his mouth to sing, I would hear him just going, just mumbling, and tears streaming down his face. To his dying day, He never stopped worshiping. The last conversation that I had with George, I got to say to him, thank you for loving me. Thank you for teaching me what worship looks like. You were my first teacher of worship. You were the one that taught me what it looks like to surrender to Jesus. And I would not be where I am today if it wasn't for you. And thank you for choosing me. I will never know why you did that, but you did. And the last thing he said to me was, Kim, sing that song for me. (laughs) The one that I love, and it was healing oil. I sang that song to him. And even then, while he's laying in the bed about to go and be with Jesus, he's worshiping. He's just giving his all. And he never, ever, ever was offended at Jesus that he did not get his healing. And after he died, it was really hard because... I have a career as a worship leader and I'm having to walk up on a stage and sing songs about who God is and on the inside and in my mind, I was going, but are you really? Because you didn't heal him. And that was really hard for me and really angry. And I kept kind of pushing Jesus at this distance. And it was like he was knocking on the door of my heart and saying, Kim, let me in, let me in. And I had this thing inside of me that was like, I gotta get this mess cleaned up and then you can come in. Like, I can't let you come into this mess. I don't want you to see the turmoil that my heart is in as if he couldn't. (laughs) And finally, when I just realized I can't do this on my own, I finally let him in. And I thought that he would be mad at me. Like, you're a worship leader. What's wrong with you? Why would you doubt these things? You, don't, you can't act like this. You can't wrestle like this. You can't question. You can't doubt. You're on stage in front of a lot of people. Why are you doing this? He didn't do any of that. Instead, he just came and he sat with me. And he said, I know it hurts. And he said, ask me. Ask me your questions. Bring your wrestling to me. I can handle it. And I just said... Why didn't you heal him? I'm mad at you. I'm mad at you that you didn't heal him. You could. You're Jesus. You're God. You could do it. I brought my questions. I brought my doubt. I brought my anger, my emotions, my feelings. And all he did was keep loving me and pulling me in and showing me mercy and kindness and wrestling through those things with me. He didn't push me out. He didn't demand that I just stand up and put on a brave face and march forward. He didn't demand that I just say, no, Jesus is good all the time. Keep going. Be a Christian. He just was there with me in the moment, letting me wrestle my way through that until we did walk out the other side together. And I came out on the other side in a completely different place, feeling even more connected to Jesus, more in love with Jesus, letting go of my offense, letting go of my anger, letting go of my pain, surrendering to him, fixing my eyes on him, and worship became even so much sweeter. And I learned in that process and in in that time what what I had seen my dad doing, what he had taught me to not allow the offense to come in. I mean, if he could be sitting there with a disease ravaging his body and keep worshiping Jesus, surely... I could bring my everything to him. Surely I could show up to church and give God all of my worship and not hold anything back from him. When we choose to surrender, there's a lot of really amazing things that happen. But there's just a couple things that I wanna point out that God promises us that are there for us when we surrender. The first one, as in Hosea 2.14, this is my favorite scripture. It says, therefore, I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her back her vineyards and will make in the valley of Acor, which is trouble, a door of hope. There she will sing as in the days of her youth. It goes on to talk about restoration. And the really beautiful thing about this verse is it says, I will lead her into the desert. You know what? How many of you have ever found yourself in a desert season and gone? What did I do wrong? How did I end up here? Where did I go wrong? Have I sinned against you? I cannot hear you. I cannot see you. I am in the desert. Or is it just, it might just be me. I'm pretty dramatic. So I get into the the desert seasons and I'm like, oh no, I am in a desert. Until one day I read the Bible and I went, whoa, whoa, whoa. I will lead her. You mean you You brought me here? Wait, what? So, in my pursuit of you, you actually on purpose led me into the desert. And God's saying, Yeah, I extended to you an invitation to intimacy. The way that I spoke to you yesterday is not how I'm speaking to you today. What I did in you yesterday is not what I'm gonna do in you today. I, I am inviting you into a deeper intimacy. I want to speak to you in a new way. I want you to know me in a new way. And you know, uh, the word tenderly in there, says speak tenderly to her. Another translation says kindly. The Hebrew word, now forgive me, I'm not a Hebrew scholar. Hopefully I pronounced this right. It's liba, and it means inner man, mind, will, and heart. He's saying I will speak to your inner man your mind your will and your heart and in the valley of trouble make a door of hope when we surrender to him he will address every area of our life and bring peace and hope to every area of our life psalm 23:2. most of us know psalm 23 we memorize it a lot of times in bible school says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. The Hebrew word right there for quiet is menuchavt. Anyways, it's a noun that implies a specific place, which is himself. Every time I read that verse, I thought, Jesus is going to lead me to a beautiful place with a pretty river, and I'm going to feel great laying by the river in his peace. And then you read the Hebrew and find out, no, no, he's saying, I am the resting place. I will lead you to myself because in me you will find your peace when you abide in me and I abide in you. When we surrender to him, we get to dwell and live in that resting place, which is him. I'm going to read the, pa- the Passion Translation for this one because I love it so much. Psalm 23:4. Lord, even when your path takes me through the valley of deepest darkness... Fear will never conquer me, for you already have. You remain close to me and lead me through it all the way. Your authority is my strength and my peace. The comfort of your love takes away my fear. I'll never be lonely, for you are near. I love that fear will never conquer me because you already have. When I am surrendered to him, Fear cannot conquer me because I'm not surrendered to fear. I'm surrendered to him. I belong to him. I am his. And he's a good father that takes care of those that belong to him. You surrender to him. And that promise is: I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will drive out the fear. I will drive out the enemy. There is I mean, I could talk all day about the amazing fruit that is there when we live our lives in surrender. But when we surrender, he meets us right where we are and he draws us to him. And in the storm, in the chaos, we can fix our eyes on him. We can lean into his voice and trust him and see his goodness and see his kindness. Why don't you guys stand up? I'm going to close out and pray. And you know, really, the bottom line is that he is worthy of our surrender. He is, he is worthy of our all. Um, Banning, he, we were talking one time and he was laughing about how um, sometimes people in church get really offended when you talk about tithing you know, the 10%, and they're offended at 10%, and he's, he was laughing, he said, it's funny, they're, they're upset about God asking for 10%, but what they don't realize is actually God wants everything. <laughs> they're shaking their fist at 10%, and I'm like, hey, yo, buddy, if you're a Christian, uh, read your word. He actually wants everything. He wants your total surrender. Everything. Trusting him with every part of our life. Trusting him with every area of our heart. And he is so worthy of that. And he is such a loving father who will not let us down in that. You will not regret surrendering everything. The, the pieces of your heart that you might be holding back, maybe they're painful areas. Maybe they're areas, maybe you're like me. Maybe you were wounded as a child. Maybe there's, there's something that happened. There's an offense in there, and you're kind of holding back that place. I am telling you, as one living on the other side of that, that you will not regret surrendering that to him. You will not regret giving that to him and allowing him to come in and transform your heart. So I'm gonna pray, and, and if that's you, will you, just, will you just lift your hands? God, I ask that right now there would just be an impartation of courage in this room, courage to truly surrender to you, all that we have and all that we are. God, right now would you come and just search our hearts, and if there is any place inside of us where we have been holding back, where maybe we have been independent and, and said, I got this. Maybe we've been relying on our own strength. God, would you come and bring courage right now to lay down those things and to surrender to you? For just a moment, can you guys, in your, in, in your own words, just whatever it is that you feel like you need to, to surrender to him, would you just take a moment and speak those things out? And just say, I trust you, God. I surrender to you, God. And God, I thank you that you are such a loving and a kind Father, that you meet us right where we are. And you aren't afraid of the questions, you aren't afraid of the wrestling, you aren't afraid of the doubting. God, I ask that there would just be courage right now to truly let you in, even into the painful places inside of us, to the tender places inside of us. God, I ask that you would bring healing, whether it's in a moment, whether it's a process of days, maybe it's a process of years, but God, we are yielding ourselves to that. We are saying yes to that. We want to be transformed. We want to be changed. We want to be free. And God, I thank you for the work that you are doing in every heart here. I thank you um, for, the, for every heart that is surrendered to you, God. And I ask that you would just continue to, to lead us in this, to teach us what it looks like to live a life surrendered to you. God, I ask for an even greater impartation of worship in this house, God. God, I ask that you would take the worship even into a a deeper place, Father. More songs, more lyrics, more melodies, God. God, I ask that this house would be known as a house of worship. God, that there would just be an incredible anointing that would be coming out of this place, God. Lord, that every person in this place, Lord, that the worship would just increase inside of them. Lord, that um, from the, the first note that is played, that there would just be an incredible roar of worship that would come out of us, God, as we just run into your presence, God, and that we live our lives completely surrendered to you because you are worthy of that, Jesus. You are so deserving of that, Jesus. And I thank you. I thank you for that. I thank you for your presence. I thank you for this house. I thank you for these people. In Jesus' name, amen.